Good morning, Christ Church. It is uh, good to be with you again this morning. And if you are new, kind of joining with us online for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you are participating with our live stream service, and we hope that you'll continue to join us in the weeks ahead. So this morning, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to John chapter 14, looking at some of the words of Jesus there. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to John 14. And while you're doing that, just had a couple things I wanted to draw to your attention. Uh, The first is that um, you might uh, be in a place right now in your own life, uh, maybe where you've got some needs and you wish somebody would come around and help you. Maybe you need somebody to run an errand, run to the market. Uh, Maybe you're not feeling well and you just need some care in that direction or you just need some prayer. And wherever you're at, we would invite you to contact our church. We've developed a care team in order to respond to the needs that exist within our church family. And maybe even among your neighbors who are not a part of this church family, we're here to help and to serve. And also, maybe you're in a place where you would like to be a part of our care team, and we would love to have you be a part of that. I know there's been a ton of you who have expressed interest in serving and helping, and it seems like one of the most frequent uh, responses I get from people when I see them is, hey, if, if you know of any needs, and if there's any way I can be of help, please let me know. And so if that's you, and you'd like to be a part of our help team, uh, or our care team, we'd invite you to contact our church office. Uh, you can also go onto our website at ChristChurchSA org slash COVID-19. There's a little uh, uh, link there, and there, there's all the places where you can connect with us and let us know what help you might need or how you might uh, want to volunteer your own time and to help us. And uh, second thing I wanted to draw to your attention is uh, I know many of you, you uh, give faithfully and regularly uh, to help support the ministry of our church. And we are so thankful for you. And we do appreciate your your investment in this work. And if that's you, uh, there's a few different ways you can give. One is by mail. You can just mail it to the church office, 193 West Sierra Madre Boulevard. Uh, You can uh, go online and through our website. You can give through a secured environment or you can text in at ChristChurchSM uh, to 77977. And so with that, uh, why don't you join with me as we turn to God and we just ask that he would speak to us as we open up his word. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have to open up your word. And we know, God, that in the midst of all the voices in, in our culture right now that are vying for our attention, We need you to break through all of those voices, and we need to hear from you. We need a word of hope and a word of encouragement. God, so would you come and would you speak to us? Would you build us up? Would you strengthen us now, we ask, as we open up your word? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. So uh, we began a new series last week entitled Anchored. And what we're talking about throughout our series is how we can be anchored to God in the midst of these very turbulent kind of chaotic times that we find ourselves in. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is how we can, how we can anchor our lives in God's peace and have that peace break through all of the anxiety and all of the worry in our heart. So peace is that gift of God that guards our hearts against being overcome by our fears and worries. Peace is that promise of Jesus that wages war on the anxiety in our hearts. And I wonder how many of you would say, look, I could use a little bit more peace in my own soul, in my own heart right now. You know, according to the uh, World 
Health Organization, America is by a wide margin the most anxious nation in the world, by a wide margin. Uh, According to the researchers, nearly a third of us will suffer from an anxiety disorder at some point in our lives. In her book called America the Anxious, British journalist Ruth Whitman describes us as, quote, a nation of nervous wrecks. Now, she's British, so I'm not sure about all of that. But, but I don't know about you, but I can find myself at times struggling with anxiety. I know many of you do as well. In fact, I was reading a study that noted that although depression is disproportionately highest among the underserved and under-resourced, the poor communities, what's interesting is that anxiety is disproportionately higher among more affluent people, which perhaps is why we who live in the most affluent nation in the world find ourselves wrestling maybe more with anxiety than other people. Now, anxiety is is not just a problem, too, that afflicts us as adults. It also afflicts uh, many of our teens and many of you who are teens who might be watching here today. I was reading a book this last week called The Coddling of the American Mind. And in this book, the author, Jonathan Haidt, has an entire chapter devoted to kind of exploring the rise of teen depression and anxiety through the, uh, during, from the years of 2012 all the way up to 2018. And there's this spike in anxiety, about 150% growth. And there's some speculation as to why that is, and some speculate perhaps it is related to the advent of social media in 2012 and kind of the growth of that. But what's interesting is that all of the research that I, I was reading about, all the stuff I was reading about anxiety, it's all before COVID-19, this last week, uh, my father-in-law sent me an article that, I, that uh, was talking about the nature of the COVID-19 virus. And so there it is right there, in case you are wanting to meet the virus that's causing us so much trouble, there, uh, there it is. But it, this article was, was talking about kind of the science behind the virus, and it noted that this virus lives somewhere in between life and death. And it, it said it, it, quote, it, 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 it exists in this zombie-like state. And I just thought to myself, you know, it is no wonder that we feel so anxious right now. We right now are living in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. You know, the dystopian future has finally come upon us. But uh, I don't know about you, but I have find myself, you know, just reading the news lines in the mornings and it seems like could it get any worse? It just seems like it gets worse and worse and worse. And then, of course, I find myself worrying a little bit about myself and my own health. And, and um, this week, I, I woke up on uh, in Monday night at about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I had this pounding headache. And I, I got up out of bed, and I thought, oh, no, what if, what if I have a fever, and the fever is the source of my headache? Even though I've had these same headaches before, I get migraines from time to time. This actually was another migraine, but I was thinking, no, perhaps I have COVID-19. And so I got up out of bed and did what probably many of you have done this week. I started Googling, what are the symptoms, and wondering, do I have this, you know? But of course, many of us don't feel so anxious and so stressed simply about getting sick ourselves or about our kids getting sick. What, what really creates a lot of anxiety for us is just the economic climate that we live in. I mean, our, our, our economy is just falling apart. And many of us wonder, well, we have a job next week. Some of us don't have a job this week. And, and we wonder, what about our business? Are we, we going to be able to relaunch it again? And I wonder about our church and the future. And, and, and we have all these things that can stimulate and cause anxiety. Now, of course, 
Most of us don't need a pandemic to struggle with anxiety and worry, do we? I mean, most of us have plenty of things to worry about all on our own. We worry about the kids. We worry about the checking account. We worry about, you know, the guy who we have to have a conversation with, who we manage, that we've got a fire, and it's creating, you know, knots in our stomach. And, and we create all kinds of uh, situations in life that stimulate anxiety and worry. Now, of course, there is a good kind of worry, a good kind of anxiety, a good kind of fear. And so you're walking down a road and a car is going to run you over and adrenaline kicks in and you jump out of the road. And there, there's also, though, a bad sort of fear. And this is the kind of anxiety, the kind of worry that you have even when the car is not coming. It's abiding, it's under the surface, it's chronic anxiety, and it seems like you're always troubled underneath the surface. You know, I thought of it like this, I thought, you know, anxiety is a good place to visit at times because it can move you into action, but it's not a great place to live. And many of us live there, and Jesus knows all about it. And I think the good news in the Bible is that Jesus is deeply concerned about your worry. Jesus cares about you, and he knows what you wrestle with. And in, in our text this morning, Jesus actually speaks his peace into the anxiety that exists within our lives. And I want you just to see what he says here in John chapter 14, verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice Jesus says here, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, why does he say that? Well, because in context, his disciples were deeply troubled. They were deeply disturbed. And why were they? Well, because Jesus here is on the night before he's going to be betrayed and crucified. And Jesus has been telling them all kinds of disconcerting, troubling, difficult stuff. He says, one of you is going to betray me. You're all going to desert me. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to go away. And the disciples are just, they're anxious, they're troubled, and it's low grade, and it's there. And, and here Jesus gives them and gives us a gift. He says, to face your anxiety, I want to give you my peace. But what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to give those of us who are anxious his peace? I mean, what is Jesus talking about anyway? Now, true confession, I've been a pastor and, uh, you know, for many years, I've grown up in the church all of my life, but I have always been less than satisfied with how pastors and how many Christians talk about the subject of peace. Because constantly people say things like this. They say, look, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. You can have peace within you. And I think the reason why that has always fallen flat with me is because it is the very things that are happening around me that disturb the peace within me. You know, it's, it's what's happening. It's what I'm worried about, you know, with, with my kids or with, you know, the job or with the checking account. It's, it's what's happening in the world right now in the economy. It's like all of these things around us. It is what's happening around us that disturbs the peace within us. So what does Jesus mean when he says we can have freedom from anxiety, that we can know peace, you know? Anxiety just isn't like a light switch that you can switch off. And so what is Jesus talking about and how can we experience more of it? 
And those are the questions I wanna explore together with you from this text. We're just kind of gonna drill down here and just ask those two questions. What is the peace Jesus is talking about? And how can you, how can I, how can we know more of it in our own experience? And so let's talk first about what is this peace that Jesus offers? And let's begin by noting what the peace is not. Because Jesus tells us, he says, look, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, but it's not as the world gives. Jesus makes a distinction between his peace and the peace that we can learn from the world. Now, of course, there there is received wisdom in our culture, in our world, about how we can deal with our anxiety, how we can experience more peace in our life. And so, you know, there are many self-help books out there. There's therapists, there's TED Talks, and they'll say things like, look, are you feeling anxious and overwhelmed? Maybe what you need is more exercise. Get out and go for a run, you know? You need to eat better. You need to get more sleep, you know? All of these can help. And of course, those things are helpful and they do help, but that's not the kind of piece Jesus is talking about. And and some say, well, look, you know, what you need is a good therapist. You know, you need to sit down, you need to do some cognitive behavioral therapy, and you need to kind of reprocess kind of the narrative in your head that's so negative, that's bringing you down, and you need to talk that through with somebody. And of course, that also can be helpful, and it can help you deal with your anxiety. But that's not really the kind of peace Jesus is talking about here. And of course, there are, there, there's technology and there's products that we can buy that can help us with our anxiety. Some of us, you know, we've got an alarm system on the house and bars on the window and one of those little uh, cameras at the door so we can see who's coming in. And all of that gives us some peace of mind and freedom from anxiety. And, and sometimes all that stuff is good and important. You know, you might live in a, in a neighborhood that's not safe and those things can create safety and security for you. But that's not the piece Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, I've come to give you a peace that is not a peace that the world can give to you. So what is this peace that Jesus offers? Well, notice it is what Jesus says. He says, it is my peace. He says, peace I leave with you. And he says, my peace I give to you. You know, what's interesting is one of the most common words to describe Jesus and what he came to do and his kingdom is the word peace. And you remember what happened when Jesus was born? The angels come on the scene and they say, look, the birth of this child means what? It means peace on earth. And the title that the great prophets gave Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it was Isaiah who said that he would come and establish his governance and of his governance and of his peace, there would be no end. And the descriptive language of this kingdom is a kingdom where tanks would be turned into tractors and instruments of warfare would be turned into instruments of of farming, a place where they would learn war no more and there would be peace. And Paul says in the New Testament that Jesus himself is our peace. And so Jesus here is saying, look, I have come to bring you my peace, divine peace I have come to give. And you know, what almost all of the commentators on John point out is that when Jesus speaks of peace here, he almost certainly has in the back of his mind the Hebraic understanding of peace. Now, of course, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for peace is the word irene, or it's from the it's the word from which we get the name Irene. So, if there's any Irenes out there, you know 
Your name means peace. Hopefully your attitude and everything about you brings peace to those around you, you know? But Jesus, although he uses the Greek word, Greek word, he almost has behind that word a Hebrew word for peace, which is the word shalom. Now, shalom is one of the most beautiful and compelling words in the Hebrew language. And uh, I, I'm so taken by this word that we gave our daughter Eve the middle name shalom because it's just such a beautiful word. It rolls off your tongue. You can even say it in front of the screen right now. You could say shalom. You know, it's, it sounds nice. But the Hebrew idea of shalom that's translated peace goes way, way, way beyond simply the cessation of hostility. The Hebrew word peace actually means wholeness. It means human flourishing. It means life as God intended. As one writer puts, puts it, he said this. He said, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires wonder at its creator and savior and opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom God delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And you know, the Old Testament prophets, they dreamed about this day when human crookedness would be straightened out and the rough places would be made plain and the foolish would be made wise and the wise would be humbled. And they dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower and mountains would run over with wine, when all weeping would cease and people could go to sleep at night without weapons on their lap. A day when people would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. A day when the lions could lay down next to lambs and all nature would be fruitful and benign and filled with wonder upon wonder. A day when all human beings would be knitted together in brotherhood and sisterhood and all nature and all humans would look to God and walk with God and love God and lean toward God and delight in God. That is the vision of shalom. And what Jesus says here is Jesus saying, look, I have come to bring this shalom to flood into God's world. I have come to establish peace in God's world. And he says, my peace, this shalom I am giving to you. Now, three things we got to note about this peace, the shalom that Jesus is giving though. Number one, the first thing that we want to note is that this shalom, this peace, this wholeness, this human flourishing is God's intention for the future of the world. The shalom is God's vision for the world in its future. You know, sometimes we can uh, read stories, we can write these sci-fi novels that have this dystopian future where everything just falls apart and goes to pot. But you know, the biblical vision is filled with hope. And the hope is, is that one day God who acted in Jesus Christ in the past will act again and he will break into this world and the heavens will be ripped open and the glory of God would flood into creation and God would fill the world with his presence and with his justice and with his love and with his peace. And on that day, creation will be teeming with God's shalom. And we will delight in wonder and love and praise in God. And so shalom is a, it, it's, it's a picture of God's future. It is God's vision for God's future. 
But secondly, shalom, this peace, is grounded in God's work in Christ in the past. Colossians puts it like this. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, For in Christ all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. And what this text is declaring is that the reason why we need shalom into God's world, and I don't need to tell you this, you know this, even if you're not a Christian, you know this, is because this world is broken and it's estranged and it's alienated from God. And so God has acted in Christ to begin this work of reconciliation through his own sacrificial, self-giving love on the cross. Christ has reconciled humanity back to God and Christ has brought peace. And so the, the, the shalom that God wills for the future has broken into human history in Jesus, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection from the dead. And so shalom is not only God's vision for the future, it's also granted in God's work in Christ in the past. But thirdly, shalom can be tasted and experienced now in the present. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at in our text. He's saying, look, you're troubled now, you have troubled hearts, but even now your hearts can know peace. And I think it is interesting that at least one of the main grounds for our peace is not simply that we can have peace within despite of what's going on in the world around us. Really, the ground for Christian peace is that one day God will drive out the darkness in the world around us and all of the chaos and everything that's creating anxiety and heartbreak and pain in you. God will one day drive it out. And really, that is the very foundation of the peace within is that one day God will work Without and he will make all things new. But this peace, this shalom can be experienced and tasted in our experience now. You know, it was Jonathan Edwards who said that there is a difference between knowing the properties of honey, knowing that honey is sweet, kind of being able to give a little scientific discourse on why honey is sweet and that honey is sweet. He said there's a world of difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting the sweetness of honey and having its sweetness fill your senses. And listen, there is a world of difference, isn't there? Between knowing that God will bring peace in the future and that Christ is God's peace broken into human history in the past, there's a world of difference between knowing that and tasting that peace in our own soul so that it's so strong that it actually melts the anxiety in our hearts. And so the real question that we want to ask is, how can we know that peace now in the present? How can we know God's peace here and now? How can I experience God's peace? And as we close, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about how you and I can grow into experiencing God's peace in greater and greater ways. And it, it is my hope, it's my prayer for you and for me that in the days ahead, we would more and more be marked out as a people who exhibit the spiritual fruit of peace. But how? How can we experience more of it? Well, in answer to that question, I have some good news and I have some bad news. So let's start with the bad news. I always want to start with the bad news, right? The bad news is this. 
There is no lever. There is no switch. Uh, There's no easy way just to move from anxiety to peace. You know, in fact, the Bible says that, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. And one of the things that you know about fruit is that fruit doesn't grow overnight, does it? You know, you might plant a tree in your backyard and it's months uh, before that tree grows into being a full tree. And sometimes it takes a couple seasons before you actually start seeing fruit. And so too, with the fruit of the spirit of peace, it takes time. It's not a switch. It's not a lever. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we can, we can feel like, you know, I, I just, I, I want peace in my life, but there's no easy path. So that's the bad news. But here's the good news. There is a path. There is a way of life that you can cultivate whose end result is deeper and more real and profound and transformative wellsprings of peace in your own heart and life. And some of you need this because, listen, your anxiety, it is, it, it, it's, it's crushing to you. And, and it's difficult for your family because you're trying out of your, uh, your own anxious heart, you're trying to control them, you're trying to control the situations around you. And, and that is a losing game. There are way too many things in this world outside of your control. You're, 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 you have to be anchored in something beyond your own ability to control people and situations around you. And I want to suggest that you have to drill down your own heart into God to know his peace. So there is a path to enter into a life of peace. There is a way of life whose end is peace. But what is that life marked by? Well, there's a lot of things. And I'm sure, you know, if we were to sit down and we were to talk, you know, yeah, there may be some real practical things you can do. Some of the the received wisdom of the world that you need to engage in in order to grow in peace. Some of you, you need to get off your butt and you need to exercise more. And you need to eat right and you need to sleep better. And, uh, you know, you need to go to therapy and talk to somebody and talk through things and and re-narrate stuff in your head. And and maybe you need to get some some yourself on a schedule. (laughs) You know, there's all kinds of things. But what I want to talk to you about are two of the key features of the spiritual life that results in fruit of peace. And Paul actually addresses both of these in the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter four, Paul speaks. In fact, this is one of the most profound passages in the New Testament about peace. He speaks here about the peace of God, and then he ends the passage with the God of peace and embedded within the, within the passage is a way of life or two features of the spiritual life that actually result in peace. And the first feature of the spiritual life that results in peace, the first way that we need to cultivate in our life, the first thing we need to engage in is the practice of the presence of God. We need to engage in the practice of the presence of God. And look how he puts it here. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But instead, in every situation, it's as if he's saying, look, I know you're anxious. I know you're worried. You need to channel those energies into a different direction. What is that direction? It is practicing the presence of God. He says, instead, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the result of that is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here, Paul is clearly not simply talking about rattling quickly off a prayer list. 
Sometimes when I sit down to read my Bible and pray, I actually can start to feel anxiety because I'm already thinking about the other things I need to do in the day and I've got to get through this and get to the next thing. And so I quickly get through this, check that off the list and move. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking actually about sitting in the presence of God. You know, in, in, in pastoral training, they oftentimes t- talk to you about the importance of a pastor kind of developing uh, what's called a non-anxious presence. And it's something that, of course, parents also need to develop, a non-anxious presence, which means that in the midst of crisis, uh, you need to be a voice in the room that doesn't, you know, raise the, the heat in the room and get people more stressed out. You've got to kind of like, in spite of the crisis, you've got to say, you know what, we're going to be okay, we've got this under control, and kind of bring a non-anxious presence into the room. Here's the beauty. God is the ultimate non-anxious presence, God knows where history is going. He knows where he's taking things. He knows that the powers of sin and death and darkness are defeated foes. He knows where this whole thing is going. And he is the ultimate non-anxious presence who has come into our lives, who's in the room. Are we open to that presence? Are we bringing our petitions to him, living our lives before him, bringing before him our our deepest concerns in our heart in quiet and in silence and in solitude before him? Are we turning to him and looking around at the world around us and saying, God, I thank you for what I do have. God, you are so good. Thank you so much for for these gifts. Are, Are you practicing the presence of God? The way into a life of peace is the path of the practice of the presence of God. Do you have space Do you have time in your day where you pause? I mean, think about all the things you have time for. Those TV shows or video games or, you know, little memes or YouTube clips or whatever that you you just go. Think about all the articles you read just this morning. Some of you are reading them right now in the middle of church service and you need to stop. And, um, but but you have time, you need to take time to be in the presence of, of the ultimate, eternal, and infinite, non-anxious presence. And open up your life and say, God, I belong to you. My checking account belongs to you. My future belongs to you. My, my graduation plans that are now squelched, God, that belongs to you. My, my, my career, my job, God, it belongs to you. Now, I'm not saying that, that prayer leaves you in a passive place and you just drop it all there at God's feet and don't do anything. No, prayer and action go hand in hand, of course. But you don't move out into fruitful action unless you first engage in the presence of God with God. And so number one, this path involves the practice of the presence of God. But second, this path involves a discipline of the mind. It involves a habit of the mind. And look at what he says next after this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, and notice what he's going to tell us here. He's going to tell us to fix our minds, to discipline our mind, to create a habit of mind where you're fixed on what is good and not on all of those things that are negative and anxiety producing. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. True, noble, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Where do you find those things? I guarantee you it's almost certainly not on the nightly news or in your daily feed or, or 
in the stuff that you're, you're, you're consuming all day long. You got to sometimes go outside and look at the sky and look at the trees and look at your neighbors to see all of the good and all of the wonder and all of the beauty around you. You got to fix your mind on the promises of God, the future of God, what God has in store for us. This is where we need to train our minds to go. And listen, if if what you're doing is constantly absorbing, you know, and, and really addicted to kind of like going back again and again to your phone and to the, the news and all, that's what you're consuming. You know, I, I remember talking to uh, uh, one of the counselors at a, uh, a drug uh, rehab center that we had taken a family member to and we were getting her checked in. And this guy had been on meth for about uh, 15 years and by God's grace, he, he was released from that demon. And one of the things that he told uh, our family member we'd taken there was he said, you know, he says, the first thing he said I had to, I had to learn to get away from is stinking thinking. He says, I had to be released from my stinking thinking in order to move into a life of freedom. And you know, some of you, you are overcome. You are dominated by stinking thinking, by all of the negativity, by all of your worries, by all of your concerns. And I'm not saying there's not a place for anxiety or worry or concern about worrying and anxiety things. It's a nice place to visit, but you don't want to live there. You want to Park your brain, park your mind to train on the good things of God, the promises of God, the gospel of God, the gifts of God around us, all of the good and gift that is around us every moment of every day. And as we live into the practice of the presence of God and the cultivation of this habit, this discipline of the mind, The promise is is that as we live into that, we will begin to taste and to know peace in our experience. And that's my hope, that's my prayer for you, for myself, is that we would take time to be in the presence of God, to cultivate that mind that sets our hearts on the things of God. You know, we're gonna close our service in just a minute by sharing together in the Lord's Supper and so if, if you haven't gotten ready for that, you can go ahead and grab, you know, the elements and get ready. And then I'm going to lead us into a liturgy to kind of share in that practice. But really, this is a practice that points us to the tangible, physical, incarnate love of God that came among us in Jesus to take those of us who are alienated and estranged and bring us back at peace with God. These are the tokens of peace that Jesus has given us. And so I'm going to invite our band up. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and we ask, God, that you might work your peace deep within our hearts, deep within our souls. God, we confess that we are anxious. We are worried about so many things that in your eyes, in your vision for this world, really are inconsequential. God, would you set our hearts and our minds on that which is infinite and eternal, your love and your peace and your goodness. And God, may your presence, may your love fill us and may it give us the strength we need to live into this way of peace. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.